Welcome to episode three of SEO On Demand. I am Norm Vogley, on-site content strategist at Page One Power. In this episode, I want to get into a topic that is a huge part of my day today, writing for search, a content style and strategy guide. This topic could be the theme of an entire series. So on this episode, I just want to do the greatest hits version. Whether you are completely new or consider yourself an expert, I want to cover the five most important things to know and keep in mind anytime you are writing content for search. I'll go through each of the rules in more detail throughout this episode, but I want to start by giving you the rules themselves. Rule number one, always write for a real and specific audience. Rule number two, get to the point as quickly as possible. Rule number three, you aren't funny. Rule number four, be unique, but be factual. And rule number five, show your work and link to experts. That's it. Those are the five commandments of writing optimized content for search. They aren't terribly technical. They shouldn't be terribly surprising or unusual, but they are absolutely crucial and confoundingly easy to forget or fudge no matter how practiced you are. So, Aside from learning and remembering these five principles, the sixth rule might be use an editor or get an extra set of eyes on your content. As great as you may be, having someone else keeping these rules in mind and checking your work is an invaluable way to make sure that you are actually covering all your bases and serving up the best content possible. There's no autocorrect or AI solution I have ever heard of that is capable of following all five of these rules. So even if you have automated any portion of your content creation or SEO strategy, these principles aren't likely to emerge unless you actively make sure you are applying them. With that in mind, I'd like to go into a little more detail about each rule, explaining what it means, why it is important, and how you can apply it to your content consistently. Rule number one when writing for search, always write for a specific audience. This might seem obvious or basic, but when you start adding keyword research and CTAs and KPIs into the mix, it is really easy to lose sight of the audience. Or maybe it's more accurate to say, you can lose empathy for your audience and start focusing on what you stand to gain from writing strategic content, forgetting that your reader's experience is what really determines the performance and value of your content in the first place. Keywords are not an audience. Most of the time, keywords alone aren't even the same as searcher intent. Searcher intent is defined by the needs, interests, goals, and concerns of an audience turning to search for help. Keywords are just one way these searchers try to put their intent into words or explain their needs to the search engine. So simply parroting high volume keywords doesn't meaningfully help searchers. You have to consider context and the real experience of real people looking to search. What do the real people want from their search? What do they expect? What will end their search? And by contrast, what might force them to rephrase and repeat their search to get better, more relevant resources? Using keywords doesn't guarantee your content satisfies searcher intent. Likewise, turning a simple query into an overlong 3000 word post doesn't mean your content is higher quality or more useful. All the things we talk about as being important in search and all the things Google programs into its algorithm through constant updates 
These are all in service of matching searchers with information that serves their needs. So before you start doing competitive research or keyword research or building outlines or any of the other steps you take to develop your content, you absolutely must consider who the real humans are that you're trying to reach. This can include anything from broad demographic traits to specific personas you create to represent your target audience. Just remember that no article you write or page you develop can ever be all things to all people. You need to narrow your focus and your goals and expectations to provide something to a more specific audience. One of Google's oldest guidelines, and the main one that they repeat and share ahead of and following every single algorithmic update is, make your content great. But what exactly makes content great? Google, and every writer, speaker, or other thought leader in SEO, has a lot to say about big and small ways to make your content better. But at the core of all of this is making your content for a specific, real-life audience of humans. Page experience and other technical optimization metrics all boil down to ease and convenience. Make your content easy and pleasant for humans to consume. Unlike Google or other search engines, crawlers, or AI assistants and tools, humans have emotions. Emotional experiences compel people to turn to search, and human searchers are likely to have some kind of emotional experience when they look at a SERP. Frustration if they can't find what they're looking for. Irritation if their results are crowded with pop-ups, conspicuous ads, and other distractions from what they actually want or need. Perhaps satisfaction if they find a helpful result or even relief if they discover important information. One powerful way to leverage these emotional experiences in your content is to write with empathy. Can you see yourself in your audience? Can you see yourself in the story you are telling? Because whatever the nature of your content, a product page, an FAQ, a blog post, on some level, you are telling a story. If you can't see yourself in that story, chances are good that your readers won't either. I know we have a lot of feelings about using negative emotions in content, especially online, but the fact is that fear and danger is a story. You don't have to incite fear in readers. You might point out a danger and provide resources for mitigating it. You might explain away a common fear in a useful way. If there's something in your content that connects to a worry, something scary, a risk, a real or even perceived danger, then you have a way to connect to your audience emotionally and give them something they will appreciate finding in search. Compare and contrast are also powerful ways to make your content more relatable. Comparing new topics or ideas to something more common and familiar makes your content more accessible, coherent, even trustworthy. You can also add emotion here. Compare your topic to something scary, worrisome, or something reassuring and safe or both, contrast expectations with reality, or contrast the past with the present to demonstrate change. Just as there's no story without emotion, there's also no story without change of some kind. If you think of the classic hero's journey or any other formula for storytelling, there's always a break in routine that leads to the heart of the story, be it horror, adventure, whatever. To write for a specific audience, you need to get in their heads, in their shoes, what emotions are they experiencing? And what are they hoping to experience? What is their routine? And what change are they expecting or fearing? What change do they want to make? 
These are all threads of empathy you can pull to make your content more relevant, useful, and personal to a real audience. Rule number two, get to the point. Don't bury the lead. Don't bait and switch, offering a title tag or page title that promises good information only to hide the most important info deep in the page surrounded by ads, anecdotes, and other fillers and distractions. If you understand your audience and you understand searcher intent, then the first thing you should do on a page is begin satisfying that intent and serving that audience. If a keyword or phrase you are targeting is a question, especially if the title of your page is a question, then the opening sentence, or somewhere in the first paragraph, there should be an answer. It is common to want to set the stage with a general opener or some other gimmick for leading into your content, but when writing for search, that isn't necessary. Searchers had an experience that led them to perform a search in the first place. They don't need you to recap that experience or speculate about why they used a query with cliche intros like, if you're reading this, you're probably wondering dot dot dot. Same thing with the trite, banal opening observations that authors use to demonstrate empathy, like an awkward parent turning a chair around to have some real talk with a moody teenager. If your opening paragraph uses some variation on looking for blank today sure can be tough, or the first time you realize X, it can be overwhelming. You may not know what to do or where to turn for help. Thankfully, we're here, blah, blah, blah. This is a waste of your time and theirs. They know why they are searching, and they had a reason for clicking on your page in the SERP. Now is the time to deliver, not review, not backpedal, and not monologue like a cartoon villain. This is the reason I gave up all five rules at the beginning of the episode. This is the reason I gave up all five rules at the beginning of the episode. You can always elaborate, add detail, and complicate an answer or a story, but if you know what your audience is looking for, then you can deliver it to them faster and earlier in your content. And you definitely should. Google, like your readers, is capable of skimming and parsing your content to find out if it is relevant or if it contains answers to a specific query. But unlike Google, your readers are not necessarily primed to do this quickly and efficiently, much less at a scale of billions of pages. So it makes for a better user experience and a faster assessment of whether you have the goods or not if you get to the point of your content as early and clearly as possible. If you've ever taken an improv class or even just watched an improv group at work, you might be familiar with the concept of saying, yes and. The idea is that for the performance to flow and the improvisation to function for everyone, you have to be ready to build on each other's ideas, taking their contribution and carrying it forward. So if one character improvises a situation, the next character accepts the premise and advances it. Yes, and. Google search content can follow a similar principle. Sometimes the best answer to a query isn't a simple yes or no, even if that's how a question is phrased by the searcher. That doesn't mean you can't start your content with a direct, concise yes or no answer. You can yes and your opening paragraph to let readers see that you know what you're talking about, you have their answers, but you want to give them an accurate and helpful answer. For SEO purposes, you might think of this as the yes, but also principle. For instance, is eating at Subway healthier than eating at a fast food burger restaurant? Yes, it can be, but not in every situation or for every possible order. The question wants a yes or no answer, but the real story is a little more complex and warrants a more detailed explanation. 
you can actually have it both ways. And when you structure your content this way, it can surprise and impress searchers. You give them what they were seeking, a simple direct answer, but you preemptively begin to answer their likeliest follow-up questions, adding more detail and information than they even thought to ask for in the first place. Search is often a place people go to learn and discover, but opening your content with a lot of preamble, faff, and time-wasting non-answers is a pretty powerful way to shut down learning and discovery and lose readers. Starting simple and adding complexity or being direct and concise before elaborating is a great way to encourage and support their journey of learning and discovery. Search is like knocking on a door. Before you can have a conversation, you really need to answer the knock. A simple trick I encourage writers I work with to use is to write what you wanna write, say what you wanna say, and then take a second look at it. Often, we end on a really strong note, summarizing everything and turning it into a short, simple takeaway. Take that final sentence or paragraph and move it up to the top. Now, instead of a conclusive summary, you have a concise, direct opener. The rest of the article or video or whatever can now elaborate on that nugget of wisdom, add depth and expertise, but it is inviting the audience deeper into the topic instead of forcing them to endure a long, winding road to what they were actually looking for. Hey folks, just taking a quick break in the episode to let you know you can click the link in the program description to get a free 30-minute consultation with one of our SEO experts from Page One Power. Thanks for listening. Now, back to the episode. Rule number three, you aren't funny. People don't like hearing this, and a lot of people get defensive or argumentative, but please understand, I'm not dismissing your sense of humor and wit. Remember rule number one. When writing for search, it isn't about you, it is about your audience. And in this case, your audience isn't just real humans, but also the bots that make search function. You might be hilarious professionally, but you need to read the room. In SEO, the room is a SERP, and it has bots and algorithms as well as people in it. Overwhelmingly, high volume keywords and search phrases are not questions in search of a punchline, and bots are looking for signals not noise. They want information, answers, and resources. Humor is a terribly subjective thing, and that means is not as reliable a way to frame answers or objective information online. This rule applies more specifically to written content, because so much of what comprises humor is interpersonal and multimodal. The timing and rhythm, the tone and body language, facial expressions, being able to see and respond to an audience, these all contribute to the expression and reception of humor. And none of them are available in written content online. The harder you try to fight this, perhaps adding emojis, gifs, or even writing stage directions in parentheses, it's only going to muddy your message and put you at a higher risk of failing to give your audience what they're looking for. If you're a writer at an agency or even an in-house writer representing a brand, the content you create isn't even a reflection of your own voice and sense of humor. The voice belongs to the website and the brand. That further muddies any attempt you make at being funny in SEO content. This isn't just a subjective impatience I have with wannabe comedians trying to optimize their content for search. There are genuine technical reasons to avoid humor in your content. As a kid, you may have played some variation on the game, The Floor is Lava, wherein you maneuver through a space as best you can without your feet touching the ground directly. 
Well, when it comes to search, puns are lava. Think about it. Search engines and their algorithms are looking for keyword matches, contextual signals about meaning, and need all the help they can get to understand how humans are using words and what they mean. Puns can be easy to miss or misunderstand, even in face-to-face -face live communication. Online, they can be even more fraught. And for machine learning systems, they are deeply confusing. If a search engine can't follow or comprehend your content, it isn't likely to give you much visibility. Search engines can't trust what they don't understand, and puns are nigh incoherent. I also don't mean to conflate being funny with being light and accessible in your writing. Accessibility is important, and making content relatable and easy to read is absolutely a worthy goal for SEO. But this is why humor can be counterproductive. Being accessible and coherent means being clear, and humor, especially absent social cues and context, can be an impediment to clarity. Just as bots and algorithms struggle to make sense of puns or innuendo, even reasonable and intelligent people can fail to grasp your version of comedy. There's an anecdote I heard when I was in high school, and it's always stuck with me. As the story goes, some former class clown in the 1970s got into college and submitted an essay that reflected his unique brand of wit. When he got it back, the professor had written a note in red. Johnny Carson, who at that point would have been the beloved host of The Tonight Show, Johnny Carson has an entire team of professional comedians writing jokes for him, and he's only funny some of the time. You are not Johnny Carson. If that's too harsh or discouraging, then consider this other bit of wisdom. I can't remember where I first heard it. When people don't know how to react to something, they either laugh or they cry. When it comes to the content you create for search, do you really want to risk making your readers cry? Rule number four, be unique, but be factual. When doing keyword research, it's normal to look for high volume keywords and queries. The higher the average monthly search volume, the more people are turning to search to look for that particular information. Some topics will have many variants, which means different people are looking for the same information, but using different words or phrasing their questions a little differently. In these cases, a high volume variant indicates that while people search a lot of different ways, this one is the most common. If you optimize your content for a higher volume keyword or its variant, you're more likely to end up ranking well in the SERPs for all the lower volume permutations as well, giving you greater cumulative visibility. But the problem with going after high volume keywords is that they are obvious targets. If you find something is commonly searched, it follows that others also found that keyword and are optimizing their content for it. For SEO purposes, that means it isn't enough just to be right about something. In addition to giving good, accurate, helpful information, you also have to package it all and present it in a unique way. If you aren't careful, this can create a tension between being unique, memorable, and standing out on the one hand, and being factual, correct, and credible on the other hand. One way to find an appropriate balance is by contrasting the content you create for search with content that belongs on social media. Social media is all about personality and individual expression. Search is a realm where people go to find facts and get answers. Ask a question on a social platform like Quora, Reddit, Yelp, or Twitter, and you'll get a lot of opinion and no clear arbiter of fact. Ask a question on a search engine, people generally expect to get a factual answer. 
That isn't to say that people don't use search to find opinions. People love searching for reviews of everything from products to restaurants, movies and music to politicians on their ballot, and more. But these reviews still need to be grounded in fact. Google has even been zealous about releasing algorithmic updates specifically targeting reviews and favoring review content that provides evidence of first-hand experience, original commentary, as well as objective facts about whoever or whatever is being reviewed. The big takeaway for this is that opinions and reactions can be a great starting point for making your content unique, but emotions and opinions always need to be grounded in verifiable fact and backed up by fact-based analysis, primary sources, or demonstration of expert credentials in some way. If you're writing YMYL content on a medical topic, that means if the content isn't authored by a licensed physician, it should be reviewed and approved by one and have that editorial review indicated prominently on the published page. Or, if you're going to assess the electability of a political figure, you should actually quote speeches they've made or indicate their voting record on a topic, rather than just labeling them in purely subjective terms. Uniqueness and originality can also come from presentation. I know personally, when I'm making a major purchasing decision, I like to read multiple reviews from diverse sources. So, it would be a huge help if, instead of having to do a search and click through the entire SERP and read every single review page, I could read one summary piece that collects and explains the conclusions of all the disparate reviews in a concise, easy-to-read format. This kind of compilation content is invaluable in many different keyword spaces, and it is decidedly user-friendly and search-optimized. The same principle applies to adding expert insights to a topic even if you aren't personally an expert on the subject. Quoting recognized authorities, industry insiders, and other expert entities can be a great way to blend fact and feeling in a useful way and make a unique presentation of a topic other people have covered. On social media, simply being aware of something is often enough reason to start posting, commenting, and reacting on the subject. That's essentially how something goes viral. People hear, see, or read about something, and add their voice to the choir. In search, awareness isn't enough to rank, and throwing your two cents into the mix isn't enough to make your content stand out, to search engines or to searchers. Observations, opinions, and feelings may be a great starting point, but you need a unique package of facts, analysis, insight, and data to make your content worthy of ranking in search and worth clicking on. Rule number five, show your work and link to experts. This one is somewhat related to rule number four since both kind of mention expertise, but this goes further than that. Too many people, be they writers, editors, site owners, or even C-suite executives, are paranoid about links. I encounter this irrational fear of external linking all the time, as if by linking to something not on your own website, you risk losing traffic, customers, and dollars to other sites. So I want to be clear here. External links, links from your content and your website to others, are valuable, necessary, and have a net benefit to your site and your SEO strategy. Think about how a stereotypically smart person might quote Shakespeare, Plato, or Einstein. Think about how advertisements often incorporate testimonials, reviews, and other resources to say, but don't take my word for it, and stand on the confidence or expertise of others. 
External links serve a similar function in your web content. Yes, your brand equity, authorship, keyword usage, and other technical features all matter for ranking and search, but being willing to share the credit and avail yourself of other recognized credible experts also makes you look more credible and expert by association. Links are a means of navigating the web, sure, but they're also powerful signals of association, proximity, and relevance. You want your site to be associated with experts. You probably don't want to pass signals of authority and trust to your direct competitors, but outside that, linking to other websites is a good thing when executed properly. Citations in your content are a signal of trust and editorial approval. So, don't link to anyone or anything you don't trust or don't want to be associated with. Likewise, relevance isn't just a matter of keyword signals or authority. You should only add links when they make sense and add meaning to your own original content. Don't spam a page with quotes, facts, tables, and other information taken from other sites. Instead, use expert quotes and proprietary data or resources to supplement your original content. If I observe that it's been an especially rainy spring, it makes sense to reference and link to the National Weather Service to describe the exact levels of precipitation I'm observing. If I assert something is popular opinion, it's a relevant place for me to link to and summarize a poll that demonstrates that opinion quantitatively. But if you can put something in your own words, or you have a byline and authorial expertise on your own, you don't need to stand on the shoulders of others all the time. Like rule number four says, be original, but be factual. Don't quote something if you can summarize it in simpler language. Don't employ quotes just to restate something you've already expressed in your own words. External links can add authority to what you're saying, so make sure you use them selectively when they do actually add substance and not just word count. The other part of this rule is show your work, which when you aren't just linking to experts or external sources means you need to show some logic behind what you say. If you're writing an opinion piece, what is that opinion based on? If you're writing a review, what are the criteria you're applying to whatever you're reviewing? This also goes back to rule number one, know your audience. If you're trying to inject emotion into your content, where is that emotion coming from? What makes something scary? If you're reassuring readers not to be afraid, what's that reassurance based on? How do you know they don't need to worry? Whether you're drawing from personal experience and expertise or calling upon the voices, work, and resources of others, you need to show your work. Give credit when it is due and link to the sources you use for hard data and research or direct quotes and commentary. You are not weakening your credibility or your EAT when you use others' resources and link to them. To the contrary, you are bolstering your EAT signals. If you try to build a moat around your site, neither acknowledging nor linking to other sites, it doesn't help you look more expert, authoritative, or trustworthy. It doesn't help your technical optimization, and it doesn't serve your audience. The web is a place of connection. Embrace it, but choose your connections with care. That's it. Those are my five rules for writing content for search. One more time. One, write for a specific audience. Two, get to the point. Three, you aren't funny. Four, be factual and unique. And five, show your work. If you can abide by these five rules, 
you can create content that is built for search. You can bolster your work by learning more about different tools, keyword research, and more, but all that technical and esoteric stuff often gets in the way of what search is really about, giving humans the information they are looking for online. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode or would like more content like it, please consider subscribing or visit us at pageonepower.com. Thank you.